Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олиар. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We have a new sponsor. I'd like to thank Magic Mind for supporting my podcast. Magic Mind is the world's first productivity drink that helps you fight off stress and keeps you dialed in, not wired. Go to magicmind.co slash prevail and use code prevail at checkout for 20% off. We've got a great show, stand-up comic, excellent analyst, Twitter legend, and former handler, talent handler on Celebrity Apprentice. My friend Noel Kassler is here. This is... The finale of season two. This is the 50th episode of the Prevail podcast. I've been doing this for a year now. It's actually a year last week and I just forgot to, to announce it, but it has been a full year. I've had a third of a million downloads, which seems like a lot to me. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening. It really just means the world to me. I've had, I've had a lot of fun with this podcast. I didn't know what it really was going to do when I started it. And it's been, it's been great for me. I just like to have people on smart people, interesting people, listen to what they have to say. I've learned so much from doing this. And it's interesting. You can look at some of the statistics. You know, I have listeners from all over the world. I've got people obviously in the U S and Canada and the other English speaking countries, but I've got listeners in Norway. I've got listeners in Japan, in Greece, in Belgium, in Turkey, in Hong Kong, Czech Republic and Finland in Russia. I guess they're keeping tabs on me. So I'd like to thank everybody who's listened to this show, who's downloaded it, who's helped spread the word and make it grow. It would be just me talking into the void without you. So thank you so much for listening. The top 10 episodes, by the way, in the history of the Prevail podcast. Number 10 is Matt Gates and Other Creatures of the Florida Swamp with Gal Suburban. Number nine, Mobsters and Spies and Pilates with my friend Lincoln's Bible. Uh, number eight, 
Dead Pimps and Tucker Carlson's Long Slide with Nia Molinari. Number seven, Doomsday Devices and Distress Assets. Trump as Weapon, Tom Barrick as Matchmaker with Lou New. Number six, Captured, an interview with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Number five, Spilling the Beans, the Allison Gill interview. Number four, House of Unger, House of Oliar with Craig Unger. Number three was the Old Lang Sigh, the Prevail New Year's Eve special, which was really, a, that was a fun one. Uh, number two, House of Maxwell with Kirby Summers. And the most popular, the most downloaded episode was when I had Sandy Bakem on, Witness to the Insurrection. And I'm, I'm happy about that because that's also the longest episode and the one that, you know, features the eyewitness of what happened on, on January 6th. I really like all of all of these. I'm looking at the list. I really like all these things. I like all of my guests. Yeah, I, I think this was just a lot of fun. So it's not all, unfortunately, uh, fun and games this morning. As I'm recording this on Thursday morning, Russia has invaded Ukraine, which we all knew was going to happen because, uh, you know, Putin is a madman and he just, I guess, has a death wish or something. And I just want to say that my heart is there. I hope that this situation ends quickly and with as little bloodshed as possible. And I also hope that it ends with the end of the Putin regime in Russia. I hope that for the world. I hope that for democracy. And I hope that for the Ukrainian people and the Russian people. This guy's a Botox head twerp. Doesn't belong doing this. Time for him to move on. So I'm saying my prayers. Ukraine, you're in my, my thoughts today. Okay, so Noel Kassler, I love talking to Noel because he's, obviously he's very funny. He's fun to listen to. Uh, great to talk to. He knows a lot of stuff because he was there. He was the talent handler, you know, on Celebrity Apprentice for a couple of years. He, he worked very closely with Ivanka Trump. And again, like, like with Tom LoBianco with Pence, I feel like whatever they paid Noel was not enough to, to do that job. And, you know, he's been really courageous, stepping forward and telling the truth when many, many, many other people did not. But the thing I like the most about him really is that every time I talk to him, I feel better, even though... You know, like I said, the situation is is dire. I mean, we're in we're in an absurd situation right now, domestically, internationally, all of it. You know, climate wise, it's a really, really uh, important moment, an inflection point, really, in human history right now. Not to not to, not to be too hyperbolic, but it's true. Um, you know, the 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 fate of democracy, of humanity, and and really uh, life on Earth is is very dependent on what happens in the next couple of years, who our leaders are going to be if uh, democracy prevails over fascism, because if fascism prevails, we're, we're done for. So, um, you know, it's bleak. You, you, you think about stuff and, and you're like, God, there's COVID and there's the insurrection and there's the, the neo-Nazis and, and, and fascists that have, uh, are on the rise. The GOP has been completely taken over by these radical right-wing forces. So has the Supreme Court. You've got you know, Ted Cruz and Kevin McCarthy and these other pathetic GOP politicians traveling to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring. It's uh, it's like going to Canosa. It's a humiliation. It's a public humiliation to have to go there and and pay homage to this disgusting disgrace of a of a human. <laughs> it's absurd, and that's that's why the title of this episode is the absurdity of it all because it is really absurd that we're in this position. It's absurd. But here we are. We're trying to make the best of it. We're trying to laugh. We're trying to see the hope. We're trying to uh, visualize a better future for ourselves and our children and everybody around us and, and for our planet. And, uh, you know, 
we keep on keeping on. You know, the podcast is called Prevail. It's not called, eh, let's give up now. So anyway, thanks again for listening for this last year. I do appreciate it. We'll be right back with Noel Kassler. And now, the national anthem of Donetsk People's Republic. The Donetsk founding fathers met on Sergei Lavrov's yacht. Declare your independence now, or Vlad will have you shot. Donetsk People's Republic, we're not part of Ukraine. With Moscow, we must side now or get bullet in the brain. Noel Kassler, welcome back to the Prevail Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here, Greg. So I was listening to your podcast this morning on my walk, the Noel Kassler podcast, available wherever podcasts can be downloaded. And I saw, hey, it's your 50th episode, which was, uh, now when people are listening to this, it'll be 51, but this right here, what we're doing is my 50th episode. Congratulations. I know, right? We're like, we're on the same, we're on the same trajectory into, into um, I don't know, maybe one day Spotify will give us each $100 million. Keep doing this. It would be. Ex- exactly. <laughs> it would be good. So well, let's get the N word in a lot on this episode. So when it, when we do get those big payouts, we can, you know. Yeah. We can. The N word. <laughs> Necrophilia. No. Exactly. Um, so last time you were on, you had, you were mentioning you had shows coming up. And uh, I wanted to ask about them because I, I had people write me that went to the shows and said that they were very good. So how did your shows go? That, that you, oh, that's did awesome. Did you only do the two or did you do a bunch? or? What? I did three or four. I did three, I think. I did the okay. Annapolis Rams Head. I did a, a theater in Connecticut, the Wall Street Theater in Norwalk. And then I did City Winery Boston right before Christmas, which was great and a great show, but it was right when Omicron was flaring up. So I canceled my New York City dates and I'm going to make those up in June. Okay. Yeah. We'll touch on that at the end, but you are coming to New York in June at, at city winery, New York. I, I, now that you mentioned city winery, Boston, I was at city winery, Boston. I went with Allison when, uh, with the Muller, she wrote tour like three oh, or that, four years ago. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool yeah. place. It's definitely, uh, it's beautiful, isn't it? I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. Like, Oh my God, this is classy. I hadn't been to Boston in ages and I walking around thinking, wow, I really like Boston. Boston is <laughs> it's a cool I'm city, with you, man. man. Boston yeah. and Philly are like yeah, the two Philly's underrated. Great. Philly's mm-hmm. fantastic. I'm going to Philly City Winery as well at the beginning of June. And it's like I went down there for a holiday at Thanksgiving and went to the, you know, the Museum of the Constitution and Liberty Hall. And it's it's a really cool underrated city. Great foodie town, too. Oh, man. my God. So many- great I had the best sandwich I've ever had in my life when I was in Philly. Yeah. And no, it wasn't cheesesteak or any of that, any of that kind of thing. It was just, yeah, great place. Great place. Um, OK, so I want to start with something super important, I think is on everybody's mind. As a guy who worked for many years doing live television, what did you think of the Super Bowl halftime show? You know what? I did I did like 15 of those halftime shows, as you well know. Yeah. The Prince one was my first one, and it was on uh, first one in a long run of shows. That was untouchable because that was Prince, obviously. Yeah. I thought this halftime show was the best since Prince. I thought it was incredible. 
I really did. You know, my friends were still there working it behind the scenes, the stage managers and the escorts and stuff. They switched producers. They're using Jay-Z in these last few years, you know, Rock Nation or whatever it's called. But I really think they did a good job. I think it brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. I know some people might not feel like that, their music or whatever, whatever that means. It's great music, you know, and yeah. I think it, it, it highlighted black excellence, which is what we need more of. You know, I think for a young black kid sitting there watching that, it's like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, my culture is awesome and beautiful, which is one of the themes I have. I, I just watched the the soul, uh, the soul movie that Questlove that Amir oh, made. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's incredible, but you know, we didn't get to see that. And my point is, you know, let's, let's show like some diversity, let's show some excellence. And, you know, I, I really thought it was joyful and fun and I, it seemed to be pretty well received. I, th I think it was well received. It was the, the, the amount of choreography and the, all the, the moving parts that were involved with it. Um, you know, just to suspend 50 Cent upside down like that. I mean, it must have taken some doing. And uh, I watched the halftime show, but nobody in my house cares about football. So I watched the game by myself, but people came in during the halftime show. And it was interesting because even though it's like a, a, a hip hop kind of thing, you know, with my 15 year old is there, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an almost 50 year old white guy and I know the songs that they're singing. Yeah. So it was kind of geniusy the way that they did it. It was, it was about the most um, accessible hip hop that they could give you like, okay, we're going to do hip hop, but we're going to do a song that's really old. So you already know what it is. And exactly. Uh, and then I heard people complaining about why well, somebody that I work with was like, I like the whole thing, but I didn't like the Kendrick Lamar. And I said, yes. And my 15 year old didn't like any of the rest of it, but like right. Kendrick Lamar, you know, that's exactly. why he's there, you know, to, to have the whole, you know, like you said, the diversity to appeal to, to a mass audience. So I think from that standpoint, it was really cool. 100%. You know, it was really good. And I, I know everything that goes into all that. And just the logistical stuff is, you know, is a monumental achievement. Folks at home don't realize we have five minutes to assemble that stage, you know, during the commercial breaks when the game ends. And then you bring out the talent and the speakers and everything. And it's just like, it's a miracle anytime it goes off. When it goes off that well, and Fatima was the choreographer. I've worked with all those artists, you know, on many other shows. They're all professionals too, you know, like, yeah. and, and having Dr. Dre and my buddy, Adam Blackstone was the MD. He was the guy playing bass who, who made that all a seamless arrangement. That's the other thing I'll mention about that show is musically that was very sophisticated. Yes. The way all that stuff is weaved together is musical. You know, I know, I know a lot of right wingers or whatever be like, that ain't music. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> it's very much music, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, we're so conditioned to watch things that are in movies or TV shows where, you know, the car, the car chase operates just so. So for something like that, that's that complicated to work in a live performance where there's not even that much time to set up the damn thing in advance is really amazing. I mean, if you just stop and think about just the, the logistics of it. Oh, it's insane. And like, you know, the Prince one, it rained sideways that day. So when we woke up Sunday morning, Prince didn't want to do it. His people called the producers and were like, hey, can you just run the tape that we shot on Thursday night? It's raining too hard. Prince doesn't want to get electrocuted, right? And they're like, this is Ricky Kirshner and the guys that used to produce it. They're like, hey, dude, it was sunny on Sunday night. Like everyone's going to know it's a tape. You know, trust us, like Prince will not get electrocuted. He will be a 100% safe out there. And when word got to Prince that he, he was going to be fine, he goes, okay, make it rain harder then. 
<laughs> right? Well, we wanted we want to see him in the purple rain. You know, that's what yeah. we want. I, yeah. yeah, and I was out there with the marching band. The F uh, FAMU, Florida A and M University, has one of the great marching bands in the mm-hmm. country. And I'd been in the parking lot with them for three days before the thing, like working on the choreography. Not that I was the choreographer, but you know, coordinating it all. And Prince took the time to write out the chart for their musical director. Like two weeks earlier, he wrote a chart for them for Purple Rain. So they weren't just like window dressing, so to speak. You know what I mean? They were musically involved in the performance and accentuating it and stuff. And it was just such a creative thing. And we had these like neon lights on their suits and stuff that were battery packed. And I was with these guys and we walk out onto the field and all the neon stuff starts like short circuiting because it's <laughs> raining and the dudes are slipping and falling like with a tuba just falling right in the air. I mean, it was in, it was chaos, but like brilliant chaos, right? Because all the focus was on Prince and everything else was sort of pointing you towards that. You know, that that's yeah. how the best of these things work is that a big organization is working in concert to put everybody's emotional focus on one point. And whenever that happens, you've succeeded. Now, I listened to the, I listened again this morning to your podcast, the, the most recent episode. So I have it on my brain. But you were talking in there about football and about the inherent racism of the of the NFL. And I don't want to get too far afield because I know that most of the people listening to this do not care about sports at all. But I wondered if you. Did you read the Brian, the Brian Flores court document? I, I read the excerpts, yes. I read the whole thing. It's really amazing. Brian Flores, for those who don't know, is the coach of the Miami Dolphins, who the year he was hired were, were supposed to lose 16 games, so they got the overall pick. That's what, that's what they wanted to have happen. And he's such a good coach that they started winning towards the end of the year, and he kind of fucked up their plan a little bit. And he's, after three years of having you know, decent records, better than expected records. They fired him anyway, you know, claiming that he, he didn't work well with members of the organization. They were, they were basically one step removed from calling him uppity, right? And right. he filed this lawsuit against the NFL for racial discrimination. And it's, it's really something to read because it goes through the entire history of, you know, kind of the, the underlying racism of the National Football League and how it all yeah. is. So um, I just wondered if you had seen it because anybody who's curious about this and the history of racism in the NFL, um, it's worth a read. You know, it's it's really well put together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've definitely followed this the story closely, and it's very racist. The NFL <laughs> yes, is very is. racist. It's like, and you heard my example with Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. you know, yeah. which is another way to deny black excellence. They could have just handed that guy the ball. He, he had, you know, it was first down, you know, on the one yard line. I could have gotten that thing across the goal line, let alone the one guy who's like the best at that on the planet. And they don't hand it to him. They pass, right? Because yeah. they wanted, you know, Russ, Russell Graham to be the MVP, not Marshawn Lynch, because he yeah. hadn't been playing ball with the NFL that week in the press conferences. And Belichick knew that. My point is Belichick had prepared for that play because he knew given that position, the other white coach would rather pass than have his sort of street, you know, not corporately refined running back be the guy that all the cameras are sticking, you know, all the microphones are going in his face in 10 minutes when the game's over. And it was clearly, you know, it was clear to everybody that's what happened. And I happened to be standing in the VOM. I'm on the field and he walks off Marshawn Lynch and goes, you mother effers could have won. If you handed me the ball, you didn't want to win, you know, yeah. and you knew the deal, you know, Roger Goodell was the driver. 
for Bud Selig or whoever the old commissioner was. He was his limo driver. He was like tag limo. Yeah. He was like the enforcer guy. You know what I mean? And that's what the NFL was like. I did the NBA all-star game during that same run, which is on tonight. As a matter of fact, Yep. the difference between those two organizations, especially in terms of racial, you know, issues is like night and day. You literally felt like you were going from Alabama to, you know, Tacoma Park, Maryland or something, you know, it was just like completely a different world. The NBA couldn't be a classier organization, you know? Yeah. Now the, the NFL, obviously there's the whole Kaepernick business. And then after the, the BLM protest, they, they put, put things like end racism. So it says it like on the helmets and in the end zones. And it's such ridiculous pandering. Like there's no, there's no meat to it at all. Whereas in the NBA, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks stopped the game during that because they, you know, in protest to call exactly. attention to it and started this whole thing. And that, you know, the, the Bucks are, they're, they're a good team. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the best players in the NBA was all, all, you know, all for this. And, um, you know, they've really been uh, the NFL. I mean, the NBA has pro change in a lot of ways. So totally, totally night and day. You're right. Um, okay. If we talk any more about sports, everyone's going to turn this off. So we're going to have to talk. Um, now you, you're one of the first people who had inside knowledge of all the Trump's private affairs to come forward years ago. You've been doing, you've been doing this for years. You know, you were on celebrity, you worked on celebrity apprentice. You were, you were Ivanka Trump's handler. So you saw shit that lots of people saw, but you're one, you're one of the only people that wanted to come forward and talk about it. The press didn't really want to have anything to do with you for the most part. You had the one thing in People magazine, but generally everybody said, who's this guy? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and now you've watched, I mean, it's it's basically six years of you doing this. I've been, I did not have to work with these horrible people, unlike you. And I've only been writing about it and and trying to, you know, tell the story for five years. My book has been, it will have come out four years ago, which is insane to me. And I'm just at this point, I can't believe that, that this is still going on, yeah. that there are people that, I mean, how emotionally, how are you feeling about all this now? Like, are you, has it changed for you in any way? Like, what, <laughs> what, where's your head stayed at? Dude, not good. You know, <laughs> you know, I do these car rant things and I, I was yeah. going to cap them at a year at 52, which was my one last week. And then yesterday, you know, I, I had to do a 53 just because I'm so frustrated because What I saw behind the scenes, I get that most people didn't witness, but it wasn't like Trump hid that stuff. You know, if you just look at the public things, like let's take this week, for example, Fox News was running 24-7. Hillary Clinton was spying on Trump Tower, right? That was the big narrative, you know, and Kevin McCarthy's retweeting it. Okay, Trump's MO was spying on everybody around him all the time. Okay, he would spy on the contestants on his beauty pageants. He put a phone bank in his room at Mar-a-Lago so he could listen in on people's phone calls. When they built Trump Tower that summer, as you well know, there was a concrete strike. The Teamsters were on strike in the summer of 1982. John Cody wouldn't let any of the trucks deliver concrete to construction sites. John Cody was also under investigation for shaking down builders and asking for a free apartment when the project was done, right? <laughs> so, so you know, and, and, and one other thing, as you well know, John Cody was in business with Paul Castellano and Fat Tony Salerno of the Gambino crime pa- family, who had also had recently been in, entered into business with Donald Trump, right? This was his first big Manhattan project, right. and uh, at least the one with his name on it, right? So- 
what happened was Trump gave a free apartment to John Cody's mistress, the mobster mole, you know, mall, yeah. right? You know, he was a married guy, but all right, give my girlfriend an apartment, the concrete will flow. That's what happened, right? A week after she, and, and this girl had no income, right? Trump himself signed the documents to get her a $3 million mortgage. You know, this is like a 20 something like mobster's mistress who gets the penthouse suite underneath his triplex. Wow. Right. Okay. Like this isn't just he gave her something on the 20th floor like he gave her, you know, a prime cut of this real estate after she moves in. She's there like a week or two and she gets a knock on the door. It's Trump's guys. And they said, hey, we're here to put in the phone lines. We're here to like wire up the apartment for the phone lines. And she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like I'm going to call Ma Bell to put in the phones, you know, yeah. and she talks to John Cody and he's like, don't let them ever in. Don't let his people ever in that apartment because Trump was trying to bug the mob. You know, he was like, yeah. here's my payback. I'm going to, you know, bug them. So Trump always collected compromise on people. That's his whole MO. That's what he did in his parties at the plaza with the cocaine and the underage models. That's how he did business. So the fact that like, once again, you know, one of his projections, Right. And, and mind you, this is all breaking in the week where we know he stole classified documents, too. Right. <laughs> right. But so here's what's maddening and I'll shut up. But like the maddening part is that Fox News is now the mouthpiece of this. Right. Right. That, that everyone knows better, because the other thing about Trump and the stuff I spoke out on, everyone knew. I just spoke out because I was sort of the fall guy who was willing to walk away from my career in live TV. You know, I'd done it 20, 25 years. I was burnt out on it. You know, I don't have any kids or anything. My colleagues were like, yo, I got a kid in college. Like, I can't talk to the New York Times right now. You know, I'll yeah. never work again. Whether it's true or not, you're just not supposed to talk about things. And his things in live TV went back to, you know, 1999 in Trinidad. He got in trouble, attacked one of the contestants. They flew him off the island. There was stuff like you don't have to scratch the surface really deep to find dirt on Trump, you know, and crimes on Trump. And nobody seems to want to, even on the left. I'm not talking journal, independent journalists. You've written a lot about it, but you know what I mean? Like, well, sure. I, it, the paper of record, you know, the, the, the New York Times, it's in their fucking archives, these stories about him that they just, for whatever reason, uh, whether just neglect or, you know, they're in on it. I don't complicity or, or, or bad, just flat out bad journalism. I don't know, but, but they, they did not tell the truth, the full truth about this guy. They just, they, the fourth estate just, shot the bed and and failed in, in 16 and they're not where they need to be by any stretch they, they're better now than they were five years ago but not not by much not by that much. much i know right the the document story i think ran on page a a16 this week yeah right about him taking the stuff from the archives the hillary stories were above the fold page a1 michael schmidt and you know and what's her name maggie haberman you know yeah. for for a year you know, they wrote like 30 articles on Hillary's emails. They knew it was BS. You know, everybody did. And it, it is maddening because I know some of the personal victims. You know, I'm still in contact with a girl who started getting groomed by Trump when she was taking figure skating lessons at his rink in Central Park. Ugh. Do you know what I'm saying? And she ended yeah. up going to Epstein's house with him when she was a little older and getting abused by those men and, you know, having a hard life. You know, when you get exploited by men, drugs and alcohol and these other things come into the picture and she has an okay life now. But, you know, I, I know it's personal to me. 
you know what I'm saying? It's not personal to take down Trump, but I know the victims of him that, that yeah. don't get any say in court. You know, that's why I'm always glad when the Eugene Carroll or somebody is willing to speak out against this guy, because there is no precedent of somebody who spoke out against him and justice was served, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get strong armed out of the room, they cut you a check, whatever. But he, he was ne he's never really been truly held accountable. And it's maddening. It's it's crazy. I mean, one of the one of the talking points I have on my piece of paper here just says absurdity of it all. And I, I think that's the case, you know, the, this business of the of the stolen documents and the destruction of documents, whether he's flushing them down the toilet. And as soon as that comes out, everyone thinks, well, yeah, he's been talking about how the toilets don't flush and nobody knew why he was saying that. Now it makes sense, you know. So yes, of course he was doing this. And um as, as other people have pointed out, it makes sense that why he needed a colonoscopy so bad if he's eating this paper all the time. And, you know, God knows that, <laughs> you know, his diet, you know, it's not so great. I don't know what 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 chemicals he's. Uh, but I, did you watch the West Wing when the West Wing was on? Yeah, of course. OK, absolutely. So we might have even talked about this before, but there there was a, a a plot point of the West Wing that stretched across, I believe, seasons two and three. So two entire seasons were based on this underlying thing that President Bartlett did not reveal that he had MS during the campaign. And oh my God, he didn't tell about his medical and what's that going to be? It took two seasons, it might have even been three of this fantastic show, which had, you know, 20 something episodes a season, not like the HBO show. So it's like 50 something episodes of, of it. And uh, in real life, Trump sends these goons to go just take his medical records away from his doctor's office that story was gone in an afternoon just no gone. i know never seen her again it's it's i mean just that alone is enough to, and nobody even i mean if i make lists of the things that he's done that are horrible and illegal and awful and then i get to like number 15 and i was like oh sh i forgot about all the rapes because he's yeah that's i mean it's insane it's absurd yeah yeah and and the rapes weren't women, they were girls. He likes 12-year-old yeah. girls, 13-year-old girls. You know, he's a sick dude and everyone knew it. You know, he put a public restroom in Trump Tower so he could hit on high school girls when they were on field trips, right? Why would a germaphobe open a restroom to the public in his private building, right? You know, that's where school trips would go from the tri-state area. You, you knew you could go in there and there was a Starbucks and a restroom and stuff. And then yeah. he would literally hit on the girls in the lobby. And- the medical record stuff, I mean, I obviously, if for your listeners that don't know, he would use Adderall. He would abuse Adderall when I worked with him on Celebrity Apprentice. It was more or less common knowledge. I mean, he wasn't cutting the lines on the fake boardroom desk, you know, but if you right. were privy to the talent department behind the scenes, you knew what he was doing. And we would send in hair and makeup when chunks flew out of his nose. And that happened as president. Right. You can go on CNN oh, yeah. right now, find clips of stuff flying out of his nose and the press completely ignored it. And, you know, I won't say his name, but one of our most prominent journalists is a friend of mine. We did sit down and try to make and, and I told, you know, a lot of people about this stuff in 15 and 16. And uh, we tried to to sort of make this the story you could run with in, in The New York Times or something. And you need three sources. And right. it basically I had, it was me and another guy that worked in TV that were willing to go on the record. And this journalist determined the doctor is the key. Like you have to get Dr. Bornstein in on this to really, you know, to his on the record sure. to yeah. really make this story work. And Dr. Bornstein died mysteriously last January. 
yeah. right in the a week after the January 6th attack, he was found dead in his home in Scarsdale. They didn't announce it. There was no cause of death. And his family quietly took out an obit ad in the New York Times. OK, this guy was a huge, prominent doctor on on the Upper East Side, a doctor feel good. I don't mean he was prominent because he had a good reputation. He was prominent because if you needed a Xanax prescription, he's where, who you went to. He was right. a gastroenterologist. OK, yeah. and Trump made him his primary physician since the 80s. Right. Because it was all diet pills. And then he'll take benzodiazepines to come down, which is Valium and Xanax and stuff. And I'll say one more thing on this. Like you just said, like, it shocks me that nobody went for that story. Like, why do you think they were going in there and stealing the records? It wasn't because he's on Lipitor, you know, <laughs> they weren't trying to, you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't, it wasn't just Keith Schiller who went in there that day. It was Alan Garten, the Trump org lawyer showed up on that house call and yeah. another bodyguard, which I always had assumed was maybe Matthew Calamari. I can never confirm that, but Keith was there and Keith is the guy who will kill you. He was an NYPD rammer. Like his job was to bust up drug dens in the Bronx, right? He was the guy who had the big yeah. ram thing that knocked down the door and stuff. And then he went up to Trump one day in court and he, he was literally busting drug dens. So where they find all the kilos and stuff. And then while he was doing this job, he saw Donald Trump in a downtown courtroom and went up to him and said, here's my card. You need to hire me. I need to be working for you. Right. That was it. And Trump was like intrigued. So he brought the guy in part time and then saw how you know, loyal he was. And then Keith retired from NYPD and became Trump's you know, muscle. But yeah. my question was, why would a guy whose job was doing drug seizures in the Bronx think that Trump had to hire him? Do you know what I mean? Is yeah. there any product loss that might have been happening with things associated with Trump org? <laughs> you know, like hire me and your drug den doesn't get busted. I'm not saying Trump was a straight up drug dealer, but they they were close cousins. You know, there was a lot of things happening in Trump Tower that most people don't know about. Right. Right. But people don't chase these stories. It's like you mentioned about the colonoscopy, right? Which mm -hmm. I still buy that that was why he was leaving the White House that morning when he rushed out. I tried to drop some hints on Twitter and people never got it. But when I worked for, you want me to drop them now? Yeah. Okay. When <laughs> I worked there, he would have a guy named Chuck Zito, who's a very famous ex-president of the Hells Angels. He would come to the after parties with, you know, colored wearing Hell's Angels, like the guys right. with the patches. I'm a Hell's Angel. So you're standing there. It's like Tom Green, you, you know, <laughs> Loaf, and like two Hell's Angels and Chuck Zito. You know, it, it's a certain type of entertainment showbiz hell. That you it, does know not, you, it does not sound fun to me, I have to no, say. No, you're just like, yeah. oh, my God. And Chuck almost killed me one time because I used to take a bunch of pictures back then and just put them on Facebook or whatever. And I took a picture of Chuck and two Hell's Angels. And he goes like this. He sees me take the picture and he calls me over. He goes, next time, just ask before you take a picture. And the subtext was like, if we weren't at this party right now, my guys would already be stomping your head in outside. Yeah, I mean, right. So Chuck was one of his like tough guy friends that he had around. So when 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 Trump had that visit to Walter Reed, right, the, the yeah. two weekends or a weekend before he was back in New York. And I told people on Twitter, I said, he's got the good stuff stashed away in the tower. Be prepared for some crazy Trump stuff when he gets back from New York, right? So my theory was Trump ran into some people in New York that gave him some really strong stuff. 
took it back to DC. And within two weeks, his heart was tweaking or something because he ran out of there fast. And I'll say one other thing to that point, even if it sounds crazy to your listeners, I worked around a lot of presidents, right? I was Clinton's escort in New York. I worked on both of Obama's inaugurations. I did tree lightings at the White House. Like I did the sort of shows sure. where the Secret Service shows up, you know, and they pre-vet everybody who comes near the president. Of you know, course, I, I did yeah. a show once with Soundgarden performed, right? With at Obama's inauguration, his second one. And I remember the Secret Service called me up that day and they said, hey, look, one of Soundgarden's guys has like a prior from 20 years ago. He was in a bar fight or something. You know, a security guy, not a yeah, band yeah. member. That guy can't come in the building when the president's here. Cool? I was like, yeah, cool. That's how it works, right? So how does it be that the next president can have a backslap with Chuck Zito on the floor of the garden? Chuck Zito went to prison in the 80s for stabbing somebody. He was on trial for trying to blow somebody up, and he was the former head of the Hells Angels East Coast chapter, right? How does that guy not get flagged by the Secret Service to have touching capacity yeah. with the press? You follow what I'm saying? It does seem can, a little, yeah. You can slip something in his coat pocket. You know, you can literally do a handoff, which is the kind of stuff I saw happening around Trump all the time. So it's so sketchy. But people don't want to follow that. You know, you listen to that and you're like, oh, that all sounds so crazy. I know it does, but it, it's right. what well, was happening. Why is know? that crazy? And, and him right. eating documents, not crazy. Like it's right. all crazy. So it's all of a piece. And this was the Walter Reed thing was in November of 2019. It was never explained at the time. I put it on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and, and people said, oh, no, it was a colonoscopy. But that was written about, I think, in Stephanie Graham's book that it was right. a colonoscopy. Trump never confirmed or denied as as far as i know one way or the other so we're relying on a book and and she might i'm not saying she's lying she might have been told that and just wrote it you know but that yeah. doesn't mean it happened it's not the same as the the president's physician making a statement or or something like that and it's uh it was weird at the time and it's weird now that we still really don't actually know you know what <laughs> what happened yeah and we'll never no, know it, probably never know you know, no. And he was carrying a sheaf of documents when he came out of that side door, too. And I've never seen Trump carry anything himself. He hands everything to everybody else. Why would he be carrying that big ream of folders, you know, that some people thought might have been some kind of machine and IV drip, which was also a common occurrence with him. That's why you always see like IV scars on the golf course now and stuff because yeah, his yeah. kidneys are shot. You do that much steroid. You know, he does speed. He does, you know, benzodiazepine. He eats horrible, like his liver is a kidney. You know, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. Um, he he has to hand off the documents to other people because his hands are so small. He right. can't grip them. <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's hard to grip. Can uh, you get this on microfiche? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Noel Kastler. So I get this package in the mail, totally unexpected, and I open it up, and it, it's a box, and it contains twelve little bottles of something called. Magic Mind. And I have no idea what this is. I assume my wife ordered it. She did not. And then I realized, oh, this is a sample. These guys might be sponsoring the podcast. That's right. I remember now. So I start taking this stuff, and it was really well-timed because this was one of the most stressful weeks of my life. Boy, did it help me. So much so that when the first box ran out, I immediately bought more. It ran out, by the way, because my wife saw the Magic Mind and was like, I want some Magic Mind. And then she started taking the Magic Mind, and now we need to have twice as many Magic Minds. Anyway, I am psyched to be teaming up with Magic Mind, and they are offering you, my listeners, 20% off your order when you go to magicmind.co slash prevail 
and use promo code PREVAIL at checkout. So what I do now, I've established a routine. I take it every morning, kind of instead of the second cup of coffee. So like maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I know it's hard to quantify stuff like this and you get the supplement, you know, is it really working? But Magic Mind really does make me more productive. I just... I don't know, I just, I'm just more ready to get stuff done. I used to have these days where I would just, I just was not ready to bring it. I would just sit at my desk and stare out the window and there's a to-do list there and I, there's just no way anything was going to get done. I, just, I, I really don't have days like that since taking the Magic Mind. Why this is, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure how it works. I know it has these 12 functional ingredients, including matcha, nootropics that make you focus, and adaptogens that help you fight off stress. Nootropic, by the way, it's N-O-O-tropic. It's a fancy word for a substance that enhances cognition and memory. Magic Mind was featured in Forbes and was called Silicon Valley's New Morning Elixir. The founder, James Bashara, became the de facto new tropics guy in Silicon Valley even before he started Magic Mind. And if you're like me, you're trying to keep all the Trump crimes straight and tell Sergey Lavrov from Sergey Peskov from Sergey Kislyak, and you want to get into that kind of creative flow state, I would definitely recommend you give Magic Mind a try. You've got nothing to lose. With their money-back guarantee, any first purchase will be refunded, no questions asked, if it does not meet your expectations. Go to magicmind.co slash prevail and use promo code prevail at checkout for 20% off. Magic Mind, world's first productivity drink. Okay, we're back with Noel Kastler. You tweeted um, last week, I think, we're talking now about we're switching topics to the Trump family. They have to testify now or they're going to obviously appeal it and we'll see what happens. Um, And and you tweeted, this is a quote here. I wonder if Vanky will plead the fifth in her sibilant porn star Sato Vache developed to please daddy's ear or the huskier natural timber scrump, which is your name for junior will definitely go with coked out gerbil tone pleading the fifth through several grams so I, I always think it's interesting, this whole Ivanka putting on this entire act to disguise what she really sounds like. I mean, is that only to please Trump? Like, why would she do that? Is it? Is yeah, it-, I th- it was developed to please her father. You know, Ivanka pl- plays her father like a violin. You know, daddy was giving her whatever she wanted from a young age. People don't realize this, but she was a party girl, right? She got kicked out of Chapin because she was going out to nightclubs at night when she was 14, when she was a Casablanca's model and stuff, Mm. right? So they kicked her out of that school and she had to go to Rosemary Choate, you know, up in Connecticut. She had to go to a real legit boarding school. And daddy brought an SUV that stood by at all times in case she wanted to like go clubbing it on a Wednesday night or something. She was the only student there allowed to have a car on campus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So she she always manipulates daddy and he likes that voice. That's his idea, you know, of femininity. And I would see her do that to him because literally if she's talking to Jared or she's talking to me or a hairdresser, you know, or the five person glam squad that she demanded on The Apprentice. And I've told you this before. She was the only one who got a trailer, dude. She had a trailer that looked like, you know, is John Travolta on set today? Like, is Madonna here? Like, why is this big, huge, like big trailer, you know? And I would have to show up early to let her glam squad into the trailer, which was another scam too, because I guarantee you she was writing that stuff off on her taxes as if it was her expense and Mark Burnett was paying it. So they were double dipping every way you could even back then. And everyone knew it. You know, they'd ask for two per diems and stuff from the production coordinators. Like there's no... 
theft too petty for them. Twizzlers is called Twizzlers because he would steal all of the red Twizzlers off the craft service table. That's Eric Trump at the end of the day, right? But the Ivanka story, you can listen to Ivanka. She was on Conan early into her sort of public life. She was in her early 20s and she uses the old voice. You look beautiful. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, of course, you a uh, lot to talk about. You know about. what is unique? How tall the three of us collectively are, I think. That doesn't uh -huh. usually happen in show business. No, Most people in show not. business are tiny, tiny people. I feel like I'm frequently disappointed. Yeah. So no, 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 no. This, this is nice. This is definitely a pleasure. This is nice. And I work It's a completely oh. different voice from the sibilant S. You know, she's she her role in the Trump org was to be the calming force, right? When they would do these scams, like in Baja, they were going to build this big condo complex that never materialized and all the investors lost their money. But when they would have these sort of like, sales pitches when they would try to get people to buy these things before they were built they would send ivanka out there and she's good she is personable she knows how to work a room she's obviously yeah. attractive you know and so she'd be like hey you know if you buy one of these condos i might just be your neighbor coming over to borrow a cup of sugar you know so she it was engineered to be like appealing something that would appeal to the outside world and that was right. her role in what i witnessed because trump can't help himself and he's brash and stupid. And I think even within the family, they knew that. Like, if we're going to take this to the next level, we need a modern face of Trump org. And that's what Ivanka was. And so I, I say that because she's complicit in whatever was going down, she knew about. And this stuff about her other testimony, I don't know if it was in DC or somewhere where they deposed her. And she said, yeah, I don't really know who Alan Weisselberg is. I've heard the name, but I don't know his title. Right. You don't know his title. There's 12 people who work at Trump Org and he's the CFO. OK, he's been yeah. signing the checks that paid for your boarding school that I just mentioned and your SUV and your little trips. She's he's the one guy she would know his name because he controlled the money. He cut right. the checks. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it's that disingenuous that just, you know, it's it's part of the con. They're con men, you know, and they, they've got the best grift they've ever had in politics. Well, the whole thing, and I, this is a point that I've been trying to get get people to understand and get mad about. I, I mean, even since from the very beginning, even before I started doing any of this, is all the emolument stuff. And, you know, he goes to a golf course, which he did, what, a third of the time, but sometimes between a third and a quarter of the, of the nights that he spent at, as president, he was on a Trump property. Every time he went there, he was making money from the visit because, you know, the, the, the food services he was uh, billing to the United States Treasury and the rooms for the Secret Service and everybody else that was there, um, all of that kind of stuff. It just it's just never ending grift. You know, forget about the Air Force One and the waste of money to ferry him to and fro, but just the amount of outlay where he would be like, OK, um, I'm going to charge you X amount for the use of this room. And then he, you know, gouge the price and, and stuff like that. And you know, this is it, it. People look at him and think, well, isn't that clever? It's not clever. He's fucking stealing no. our money. It's my yeah. money and yours and everybody, everybody in the United States anyway, who pays taxes listening to this. It's their money that Trump has just, just stole. And, um, yeah. you know, now it's the same thing, but now it, it at least is confined to his donors where he takes the money. I mean, the RNC is paying his legal bills. That's again, that is insane. It's nuts. Yeah. It's just, Dude. it's just nuts. Um, you know, people giving money to this campaign, thinking they're paying for the candidate to like, you know, go out on the on the stump or run ads or this or that. No, you're paying only for like, I don't know, 
Giuliani and Sidney Powell and these, these, these horrible lawyers to do God knows what. It, it, it's uh, Again, it just goes back to this is all absurd. It's, it's an absurdity. Yeah, no. And I don't get why people can't see it. Uh, well, we're going to we're going to we're going to figure that out right now, Greg, you know, because it's the cultural thing. Right. When Trump first got elected, one of the first grift things he did, even before charging Secret Service thirty dollars for a bottle of water, which is also the kind of stuff he was pulling when he went and golfed and stuff. So he becomes president. The Department of Defense realizes they have to rent a suite in Trump Tower now in case he goes home for the weekend, like he did that one time to get mm -hmm. some more meth from the Hells Angels, <laughs> right? <laughs> Allegedly, right? But they're like, look, if this guy ever comes back to New York, we have to have a secure facility to keep the nuclear football in. Because wherever the president is, that dude who has the briefcase, you know, handcuffed yeah. to his wrist or whatever has to be nearby. So the DOD went to rent an empty apartment, you know, in his building and he jacked them, you know, it would have been like $30. You know, let me just use, I don't know how the exact figures, but as an example, say that market value would have been 30 grand a month on that apartment. He charged them a hundred grand a month or 110 grand a month. So that was in 17, like that was at the very beginning. So he jacked them. The secret service saw that and was like, we're not getting ripped off the same way because the Secret Service was going to have to rent an apartment there too. Mm -hmm. And they canceled their plans and put a trailer on 56th Street. And that's why 56th Street was shut down for four years between 5th and Park, right next to his building. Because yeah. Secret Service was like, you're not screwing us the same way, buddy. But you have to think of that psychology. Here's a guy who just became leader of the free world. Right. A guy who can barely read, had other people, you know, take his tests and stuff, you know, an idiot, a moron. Right. right, right. Became president. Most people would be so honored. They'd be like, I'll give you the apartment, the nuclear football. Like, that's cool and important and serious. I'm not going to jack you off, you know, yeah. but that was Trump's initial instinct. He was, you know, he was seeing how the most sensitive thing in the world, you know, the guy who has the, the power to literally end all life on this planet in a moment's notice, right? That awesome, heavy responsibility in Trump's eyes was just another way to get more money into his bank account, out of our government, out of the DOD, the same budget that pays for these vets that get wounded and have to have healthcare the rest of their lives in a special facility. And, you know, the list goes on and on. That should have been the end of him. And that was in the New York Times. And people didn't pay attention to it because Trump was smarter than them in many ways. Trump knew if he always kept it on a cultural issue, he would win. And yep. the other really wealthy people who made a lot of money off of dudes being dumbasses like Fox News and Rupert Murdoch would be all in on that approach. And he doubled down on the racism and it worked. And now we're past the point of really ever changing hearts and minds of the generation that really supports him. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? I, it's going to take a couple generations to get this level of hatred out of, out of the American public. If we even survive, you know, yeah. as a democracy. I know it's, it's scary stuff. So I wanted to talk about Fox news anyway. So since you brought that up, let's, let, let's go there. Let's pivot there for a second. I, I've written a lot lately about Tucker Carlson because I find him, um, more interesting than the other Fox News hosts. Like, I, I just think Hannity is a moron and I think that Laura is great, whatever. I feel like Tucker knows what's going on. I feel like he's very aware of when he's lying and when he's misrepresenting and, and this and that. And him going, especially to Hungary, 
to meet with Viktor Orban, who is a bag, it was a bag man for Semyon Mogilevich. I mean, this isn't this isn't me speculating. This is according to testimony by one of Mogilevich's lieutenants who was testifying in a court of law in somewhere in Eastern. I can't remember what country it was. So it's a real thing. Um, Orban was was a, a mob guy, and now he's the president of Hungary, and he abruptly changed his politics after they got to him. So you have Tucker there, you know, fluffing this dictator with mob ties. And in some ways, it makes it easier, I think, to figure out like who the who the bad guys are and who the good guys are and who's doing what. Like, okay, if Tucker's doing that, and he's done it more than once, and obviously now with the the situation in Ukraine with Putin, he's just trumpeting uh, Russian talking points. I mean, Tucker's on on Russian news all the time. If you if you watch Julia Davis's Twitter feed, he's, he's you know they actually criticized him. They said Tucker is actually too too much pro Putin. He has to tone it down a bit. They were making fun of him. So, you know, he's obviously, you know, I don't know why or if he's, I don't know what the, the motive is, but he's clearly carrying water for this guy. He's carrying water for this dictator who's a, a, a Russian mob guy. And uh, and Rupert Murdoch is allowing it to happen. So you have that that sort of cluster of people. And, you know, this is this is the network that arguably has done more to spread disinformation, especially related to COVID. I think if Fox News didn't exist, many, many more people would still be alive right now. And um, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know what my question is, but I think I, I'm struggling with this myself because I don't feel, I feel like Rupert Murdoch is smarter than this. And I, I always expected him to at some point just repudiate Trump. And not only has it not happened, the opposite has happened. He's doubled down, tripled down. Rupert Murdoch's one of the first people on the planet to get vaccinated. Yeah. And yet he's spreading, he's allowing his Fox News to spread all this. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on all this? Though? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, and, and, and exactly. Rupert Mur Murdoch was vaccinated. Jerry Hall is definitely vaccinated. The 30 member crew of his super yacht that are washing his grapes before Jerry feeds them to him are damn well vaccinated. <laughs> right. You're not getting anywhere near him without getting vaccinated, it's money. You know, it's the same autocracy that, you know, authoritarianism, you know, this sort of like the wealthy controlling all the money and keeping sort of the people that you're exploited down and using them as political muscle. It's, it's a no brainer. And somebody like Tucker, his ambitions are, are bigger than being a news host. I think yeah. Tucker thinks he's gonna be the next president and he, yeah. he thinks he probably has a good shot at it. And it's hard to explain somebody like Tucker. I mean, I, I have a friend who works at Fox News who's been there for 20 years. I won't mention his name. He's on air talent and he's a good guy. He's an actual legit reporter who came there because he was at a local Fox affiliate, right? They mm -hmm. used to have normal news stations, Fox 5 News, New York or whatever, you know, normal television correspondent reporters. And he got pulled into the corporate structure. And he told me that even under Roger Ailes, he goes, if Ailes was still alive, Ailes would not stand for this. And he goes, Ailes was no angel. Trust me. You know, obviously we all know Ailes was a horrible misogynistic and, you know, sexual predator. Right. But he was like, even Ailes would not be down with this. And this guy calls me all the time. He's like, no, yeah. keep going after Fox news. Like it's hell there. And basically what he told me, what happened was all of these, the, the Hannity, the Tucker Carlson, they became the power structure after Roger Ailes, Die, you know, left and then died, and nobody stands up to them. 
and their producers are like these 26 year old neo-nazis right the producers mm -hmm. are like ben shapiro types you know they're all just these little like you know white dude you know yeah right wingers so so that's who's letting you know they're not providing any stop gaps and gaps in terms of the content right yeah you, you know what i mean they're not going to say hey we got to take out this line it sounds like you're pro-fascist or whatever there is none of that where there had been before and i think rupert Mur murdoch is essentially hands off you know as much as he's paying attention to how much money his empire is making he knows those are his pit bulls and he knows they're going to go on every night and snarl and froth at the mouth, you know, and judge Janine will go on there drunk and, you know, do a big screed on Saturday night and they'll scare a bunch of old people. Right. Which is kind of basically what Fox news is, right. It's for a 70 year old lady sitting in, you know, in her like chair in Alabama or wherever watching this stuff and believing this myth of cities crumbling and all this. And I'll shut up, but the funniest thing to me about all this is like, you know, Fox News is at 48th, 47th and, and 6th Avenue. It's across the street from MSNBC. You right. know, those same people that are telling you our cities are burning and New York is a rat infested hellhole are getting out of their studio, getting in the SUV outside on 6th Avenue, going to Nello's, going back up to, you know, 78th and Park and going into their classic six apartment, right? They're all New Yorkers or they're coming out here. I'm doing this in East Hampton. You know, so much of this is a local story. And I don't think people ever picked up on that, like especially not people that supported Trump. They're being manipulated by the same sort of folks that they think they despise. Right. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like the, the difference between MSNBC and Fox News or CNN is a better example. The difference between CNN and Fox News you know, rhetorically is quite different, right? But from a corporate business model, it's exactly the same, yeah. you know? Jeff Zucker is in the same, you know, position as, you know, Kyle Murdoch or whoever's, you know, making day-to-day -day decisions at Fox these days, right? It's the same sort of like, this stuff sells, right? This stuff sells and they're answering to shareholders, you know, they're answering to greed and capitalism at the cost, not only of democracy, but of public health. We got a million people and yeah. it seems almost, you know, this is a bit of a segue, but it's like, did everybody just decide, Hey, we're not going to talk about COVID anymore. 2000 people a day is enough. We're just going to pretend like it went away. Cause it didn't go away. You know, I don't, I don't understand that uh, to me. I thought, my God, if, if, if COVID can't break through the bubble, the news bubble, um, the information bubble, nothing can. And it hasn't, yeah. it, it, it yeah. has not, there are a million people dead and, some people were going to die no matter what, but I think, you know, at least probably conservatively, 750, 800,000 are preventable deaths that Trump, Pence, and Kushner just allowed to happen by their complete willful negligence. And, you know, again, this is not a political issue. It's, it's not. It's, it's, it's about survival of, of people and, and humanity and all this stuff. And uh, to, to politicize the, the wearing of masks and the vaccines is one of the most evil things that any one has ever done in the history of this country in, in leadership position. And I, I just don't get it. I mean, Rupert Murdoch is going to be 91 next month. You know, he's got, he's worth $22 billion. He's had a really good life. He's his, his wife used to be Mick Jagger's wife. Like he's doing fine. Like, what are you doing? Why do you want us all to die? I don't, I don't, you know, can we just, do you mind just having us, you know, be okay. It's, it's just bizarre. But I think you're right about Tucker running for president. I think he, 
I think he does have that in his sights. And I think probably that's why he's um, courting uh, the Orbans and and uh, and stuff like that. You know about his mother, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tucker McNair Carlson. I know all about that little dude. Trinity College. You know, he used to live in uh, Great Falls, which is a fancy suburb. Great Falls, Virginia. Not mm-hmm. Maryland, not the part park you know there's great falls in potomac but like there's a, a fancy neighborhood it's called like great falls in virginia outside of dc and dave grohl had a house there in the 90s you know who came who's a dc mm-hmm. guy and i used to be in that kind of dc hardcore scene and stuff and uh tucker had a house like two doors down from dave grohl and he went over one time and left him a note it was like hey man we should hang out and have a beer sometime <laughs> It just, you know, because Tucker used to write for Time magazine. Like people yeah. forget Tucker was somewhat normal when he came on the scene. He, he always was. had the bow tie, but, you know, he was trying to be like a cool kid. And I only tell that story because it reminds me of Trump. You know, he tried to be accepted by the cool people and mm-hmm. Hollywood and stuff. And then when they know that they're never going to be, they just completely pivot like, OK, well, I'm going to be Hitler then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like because yeah. Dave obviously didn't have a beer with him, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's terrifying. Oh, my God. Maybe if Dave Grohl had had a beer with Tucker Carlson, we wouldn't even be in this mess. Exactly. Come on, Dave Grohl. No. Dave, you could have pulled out your bong. You could have gotten him high. He would have been your road manager right now instead of destroying the planet. Here we are now. Entertain us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, it's, you know, Tucker's, you know, I have nothing but contempt for these guys that have had good lives. You know, Tucker went to boarding school in Switzerland, too, for a time. You know, the, the guy, you know. He's had a privileged life. And, and there's so much of this that happens in privilege that you don't see happening happening with people that grow up kind of empathetic. You know, yeah. people take shots at Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton struggled. You know, Barack Obama struggled. That struggle at an early age will forge compassion in your heart. So then when you go into politics, you understand you got to see how every chess move plays out for the most vulnerable among us, not just the wealthy. And what happened is Republican conservative politics became all about dividends and who's going to create the biggest profit margin. You know, kudos to you. You wrote that great piece on Kushner. You know, uh, on your Substack that was viral. Every time I logged on Twitter, it's all I saw. And uh, but you made a point that I, you know, I I mentioned myself before, like Kushner's first instinct was like, how do I make money off of this? Right. Not that like, oh, that's where I'm from. I went to NYU, you know, well, there's ambulances 24 hours a day. Let me help solve this. He, He didn't. He put his best friend who was his roommate at NYU in charge of the White House coronavirus project, as you well know, you yeah, know, shadow and group. They, yeah, right. They were Googling, you know, COVID and stuff. And, and that guy's just his buddy who was. And when they figured out they couldn't make any money off it, they lost all interest. And that's when we have, well, it'll be over by Easter and we're just going to open everything back up because I think he went to Trump and said, look, there's really no money in masks and vaccines and stuff, you know, because it was basically like a holding pattern until Jared could figure out like what's our angle on this how mm-hmm. do we make money and jared as you well know was like yeah there's no money to be made our only political gain is to punish blue states yeah i mean that's insane you should be locked up and thrown in jail for that it's that's that's a i don't know what's this the the non-wartime equivalent of it's a crime against humanity is what it is it, it yeah it sure is it, it's um it, it's just abhorrent and and for yeah the the uh you know to come from from his lineage for his grandmother who was a you know a, a lock you know 
rounded up in the ghetto by Nazis yeah. and tunneled out and and lived in the, in the woods for a year fighting them and and for him to to do that especially is just it's just I, I don't even know what to say I mean it's it's it it boggles the mind that this this way of thinking that's so uh, it just seems to have overtaken our society completely you know just me 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 um, I said it uh, earlier you know I wrote another piece that. The Republican Party, they're basically all they care about is is tax cuts for rich people. And for everybody else, it's just fuck you die. Yeah. And I I that's more colorful, but that's basically all of their policies. They're they're, you know, with the guns or the 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 taking away of of uh women's reproductive rights or the encroaching fascism or the the coronavirus stuff. It's just fuck you die, you know, yeah. and uh and people don't quite seem to uh, I, I it's almost like, you know, we're used to the brand name of things. You know, we're used to the brand name of of uh, the New York Times. Oh, the New York Times is the New York Times, blah, blah, blah. And it's taken a while for us to realize that the New York Times maybe isn't all it's cracked up to be, and maybe it never was. And the Republican Party is also a brand. You know, it is a brand that Trump basically had a hostile takeover of and killed. But I yeah. think a lot of people look at it as... But it's the Republican Party. It's like you know, th this is the Plaza Hotel. How could it be? You know, right. Um, and I think maybe that's part of it. There's something there. Like we have to get through the messaging. And I don't know if if the entire party needs to be blown apart or if it's going to come undone anyway. I, I I don't know. It's very weird. It's 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 a very uh, we're on the precipice right now of something, and I I don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, it could go in a lot of different directions. Many of them bad. Yeah, no, uh, very well said, my friend, you know, and it's it will circle back to what we said earlier. It's this cultural thing, waving this flag and this jingoism, you know, the fact that all the yeah. Trump stuff is a screaming eagle and a Punisher sticker you can put on your pickup truck, you know, so they're selling the illusion of power. Right. Yeah. And and revenge and patriotism to these followers and that stuff to a people that have been uh you know, not exactly on a winning streak, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, it is very, as we see in history, you know, that's very like easy to exploit that kind of stuff. So the dumbing down of America that happened under Reagan, allowing Fox News to come in here, taking, you know, away the, I forget the name of whatever it was, the broadcasting rule that like you couldn't basically lie. The, the, fairness, you know, the doctrine. fairness doctrine. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. You know, that, that set this up, killing public education, arts funding, you know, I mentioned that movie, the, the Soul movie. I cried the whole way through it because I grew up outside of D.C., right? And I was yeah. the only white kid basically in my neighborhood. All my friends were black or they were Middle Eastern or they were from Guatemala. It was all immigrants. We ate government cheese in my neighborhood. Like it was the kind of apartments that Kushner owns, right? Yeah. My mom had me at 19. Dad kind of split, not a lot of child support. You know, so it's me and a 25-year-old mom and a you know, a $300 a month garden apartment, you know, with roaches and stuff literally <laughs> could have been owned by Kushner. It was so long ago. I'm almost 51, but I'd love to go back and see who, who bought it, you know, <laughs> but anyway, we would sit there and watch cartoons in our onesies and eat cereal every Saturday morning, just like normal kids, right? We weren't demonized, but when I would watch music movies, for example, we'd go to the library and they'd show the Beatles, you know, let it be, or they'd show a movie on the doors or something. And I'd go there with my black friends watching this. And I remember as a kid, like, how come it's all like white dudes that we have to have as heroes? 
You know, like, why can't I go see their movie? Right. And that's that movie about the soul concert, you know, the soul festival thing would have been great to watch alongside Woodstock. Right. So they could laugh and say, look at Nina Simone. There's brilliance. There's black excellence. There's joy. And I would have loved to have seen that. You know, when that superhero movie came out a couple of years ago, I don't watch superhero movies, but the one with the black, black Panther. Black Panther, right. Yeah. I cried every time that commercial came on because I knew what that would have meant to my friends when I was a kid, you know, yeah. and I was so happy for the new generation of kids that get to see somebody that looks like them. And that stuff is important. That's not just me, liberal white guy, you know, trying to be woke to say that that stuff's important to national security, to progress and health as a nation. You know, people need to have positive reflections of themselves and 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 something to aspire to, not war footing mentality of cities being the root of all evil. And everybody who has a funny name is a communist and stuff. You know what I mean? The same stupidity. It's like they're selling spam to most of these Americans. You know, Fox News is just selling them junk processed crap that's going to kill them. You know, while somebody else is eating beef Wellington, you know, in his super yacht, (laughs) you know what I mean? Someone's sitting there sending, you know, eating Doritos for dinner, sending Trump another 15 bucks because she just got another text. You you bring it up and it's it's true. I mean, historically speaking, the societies that culturally, um, societally that are that are the centerpieces of epochs of time are always the ones that are the most diverse, that embrace diversity as, as openly as they can. You know, the golden age of Islam came was roughly parallel to the dark ages in, in Western Europe. And part of the reason why that happened was, um, you know, the door was open. They wanted people to come in who knew stuff and who were smart and could bring their gifts and their talents to, to, to the, the country. You know, and America at its best operates the same way. You know, we don't, we shouldn't care who, uh, you know, looks this way or that way, as long as what they're bringing, you know, their talent and their, their genius and their, their gifts, their unique gifts, um, you know, both in terms of their, their cultures and as individuals into this large group of, uh, otherwise there's nothing that binds us as people in the United States, other than we all happen to live in the same real estate. It's this idea of us being all in it together, of we, the people of democracy, of one person, one vote. And, uh, you know, that that's it. And the, the more diverse the society is, the stronger the society is. It always happens that way historically. And, uh, you know, there's a business case to be made for it. I remember when I worked in HR, they said that the business case for diversity, it's not just we're doing this, like you said, because we're woke libtards. It's because it makes the goddamn product better. It makes Absolutely. everything better. It just does. Right. So, yeah. Um, so I now we've gone full circle. And ironically, it is the NFL, right, by, by the halftime show that has given us, as you said, this black excellence for, for the yeah. moment now um, of all venues and all places. So. You know, maybe that's a step in the right direction. Whoever made that decision, maybe that maybe that helps in some way. Um, you know, and stuff like that. I've got about seventy-five other things to cover, but we're almost—it's <laughs> been about an hour. So, um, do you have any other any any other uh, important thoughts on the moment? Uh, you know, that's that, it. That, that no, I mean, I, <laughs> no, you just said it all right there. You know, we're stronger together. We're better in a rich, diverse cultural nation. The best blessing of my life was that childhood. 
You know, I, I, I went without some things, but the things I got in exchange for that, the other people's point of view, knowing that everybody is basically the same, right? We have cultural differences, but we're all the same. We all want the same thing. We want to dance. We want to laugh. We want to have security. We want to have kids. You know, it's yeah. pretty simple. And, you know, like you said, if you walked into a kitchen and a chef had like every spice in the world up on a rack and stuff, you'd be like, oh, this is going to be a good meal. You know, and if you walked into another kitchen, they had salt and pepper and bologna, you'd be like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's the same thing. We need that richness because now more than ever, you know, we're a global society, right? We're not yeah. just, you know, it's not Denmark or something. Those things, you know, if you had a small country with borders, whatever, but we're, we're, that's not who we are. It's not who we ever were. This wasn't our land in the first place. Let's no. be honest, right? We stole this place and, you know, we already lost most of of what we could have gained from indigenous peoples mm -hmm. you know and then we you know the thing i always think about the black community is look how horribly they've been treated and continue to be treated to this day by the you know by the united states for the most part yeah. right as a generalization by the government whatever and look how they responded to that jazz blues you know achievements in science great literature right Yep. That should tell you like, dude, we have something to learn. This is not our enemy. Let's get this out there and make it, you know, make it a better place. These guys are great at this stuff. Don't stop locking them up and telling white people like that they're the enemy so you can get elected. You know, it's yeah. criminal. And I think it did make a difference. The, the NFL, I think, because next time now it's all green lit. Now they're going to be tripping over themselves you know, to yeah. get, you know, like to get that same kind of thing. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing, you know? And it's little things. It's it's the little cultural things, you know, they really do matter, I think. And they really do make a difference in ways that that probably, you know, I'll never know. You you know, we'll never really be able to tell, but I think I think it does make a difference. Um, okay, so we said at, at the top of the show, you've got some shows coming up um, at City Winery in New York and in Boston, right? What are the dates on those, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty psyched, thanks. Um, I'm gonna be at the City Winery Loft in New York City on June 6th. And I'm gonna be at the City Winery Loft in Philly on June 7th. And anybody who knows the East Coast, that's a double header right there, baby. New York <laughs> and Philly. I gotta bring some A game to that, that crowd. Yeah, otherwise they'll throw batteries at you and it'll be, uh, or maybe in Philly. In New York, they'll be. They'll be... <laughs> I'm terrified of Philly. No, <laughs> to be, no. I love the city. It's great. As I said, I was just down there. It's a wonderful place. But uh, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I canceled the shows I had in January because I want my audi audience to be safe. Yeah. You know, so I was just like, let's wait six months. And so kicking off the summer, my show, for those who don't know, it's an hour of me telling jokes and stories and stuff about my life. It's not all political stuff. I worked with the Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson and you name it. I tell a lot of stories from being on the road and people seem to respond pretty well. It's a good time. So come on out. Yeah. Um, come join. You've got your website, which is noelcastler.com. You're on Twitter at wait, what is your, is it, is it, it's Castler Noel, right? Isn't that your Twitter handle? It's Cat Castler Noel because somebody stole at Noel Castler. Ah, okay. A fake me. Because <laughs> I had a Twitter and then I shut it down in 17 because I was so disgusted. Like right after Trump got elected, I was like, I'm just deleting this app. I was so mad at them because they were a big part of Trump getting elected. Let's be Absolutely. honest, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And when I, right. And then I started speaking out in comedy clubs and I think it was another comedian or somebody, but somebody went in there and took my handle. 
and started like a fake account with Pence in the thing. And now I can't get my account verified and it's all just a, a nightmare. But at Noel Castler or at Castler Noel, Noel Castler comedy, you'll find me. I'm a big mouth. I'm all over the place. It's a it's impossible not to. And I'll link to yeah. it in the show notes for the for the six people listening to this who don't follow you, who, who are on Twitter, who don't follow you. Um, Noel Kassler, thanks so much for taking the time. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you, Greg. Always a pleasure. Keep up the great work, my friend. You too. Peace. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sofia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs. Sigma Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. MSW Media.